In this episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, Rob and I are going to be talking about pro tips for attending conferences. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 389. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us. The podcast helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you built your first product or you're just thinking about it. I'm Mike. And I'm Rob. And we're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. How are you doing this week, Rob? Doing all right. I was just thinking, this episode 389, man, we have 11 more episodes until episode 400. That's insane. <laughs> what kind of cray-cray, you know, celebration thing are we going to do for 400? Or what sort of group therapy are we going to have for the people who've listened to 400 of them? <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> I hope no one... I hope that there is no one out there who has listened to all 400. That would be catastrophic. We should, we should have Sherry come on and just do like a group therapy session for episode 400. I think that'd be yep. you know, prudent. <laughs> I agree. And do you realize that I was trying to figure out, so if, if we just said 30 minutes per episode, and that gives us 200 hours, which is 8.33 days straight. Whereas if you were, if you stayed up, you could hear the entire journey of this eight years in eight days. Wouldn't that be crazy? Yeah, but I don't know. So I, would, I don't know if anyone would even attempt that. But um. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't just be crazy. It would be uh, what do you call it? Clinical. You should get committed for trying to do something like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But we do have uh, 595 worldwide iTunes reviews. So you know what I'm going to ask you, the listener, to do get us to 600. Seriously, in the next couple of days. I mean, it, 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 you know, this comes out on a Tuesday. I would love that by Friday of this week, we're over 600 reviews. Some of our recent reviews include awesome show, highly recommended from Jay Barship. He says, Rob and Mike are truly two of the best in the biz at expertly extracting those bits of gold listeners are looking for. So we uh, really appreciate reviews, of course, and it does help us spread the word, keep us motivated to do it. And right now we are accepting five-star reviews, five-star reviews only, and look forward to seeing that number tick over the 600 well before our episode count ticks over the 400. How about you? What's going on? Well, I, uh, I'm still doing a lot of stuff to kind of prepare for uh, microconf, but uh, last night I went to, drove into downtown Boston into Cambridge and went to Wistia. They were having an event there that talked about, where they were, they had a panel of people discussing how to use video in your marketing efforts and different ways to use it, different parts of the funnel that you can address with it. And it was, uh, it was very interesting. It was nice to get some perspective from people who are actively doing it a lot, as opposed to just reading around certain things. I mean, I wouldn't say that it was a a course, but it was definitely a crash briefing on things to pay attention to and edge cases that you might run into. So it was, it was cool to meet everybody there as well. Yeah, that is fun. That's always nice to get out and go to events like that. I really enjoy those as long as there's at least some cool people to meet or some type of cool presentation that's given that like provides value and gets me thinking about things. I do enjoy kind of hitting up a local event just to see who's who's in the in town, you know, kind of in my field every once in a while. I did get some laughs when people asked me why it was that I, I came in for that. And I said, well, I haven't left the house all weekend, so I figured it was still about time. Yeah, totally. All right. So what are we talking about today? Well, in preparation for MicroConf, I thought it would be a good idea to go through some pro tips for attending conferences. And I know that we're probably going to give some advice about attending MicroConf specifically, but there's also a lot of general advice in terms of how to approach going to a conference. And this isn't something that I think we've talked about specifically before. We've touched on it in a couple of episodes here and there, but we've never really just sat down and gone through what sorts of things should you do in preparation for going to a conference, uh, whether it's a business conference or developer conference or marketing or what have you. 
but it, I thought that it'd be good to go through that stuff and kind of give our own take on it since we do kind of run a conference. Cool. Let's dive in. So this is kind of a, some of this is loosely based on an article from Justin Jackson, where he specifically talked about microconf. We'll link that up in the show notes, but I did want to call that out before we get started into this. And the first thing that came to mind when I was putting together this list was make it a point to look up what the weather is in advance and plan accordingly. And I distinctly remember last year at microconf where it was late at night on, I don't know, I forget how far into the conference we were, but we were standing outside and it was freezing. And it was not something I had actually thought about doing because I was like, oh, it's Vegas. It's a desert. It's going to be generally warm. And I hadn't realized how much earlier in the year it was and how much of a cold wave was kind of going through the country at the time. So I did not dress accordingly for it. So I think that that's the thing that I would say is pay attention to what the temperature is and actually go look at it. Don't just assume that it's 70 degrees and sunny because it may not be. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, especially like the desert it gets really cold at night. So I'm just looking at the forecast for the next week in Vegas, and the highs are all 80s and 90s, but the lows get down to 61. And when it's 61 and it's dark and there's no sun and the wind's blowing, like it's pretty dang cold. So have some type of long sleeve, because often aside from just my collared shirts, I, I don't tend to think about bringing a long sleeve shirt to Vegas. But of course, in this case, you're going to want, you know, some type of light jacket or windbreaker or something. Yeah, I mean, and also because it's a desert, like you have to pay attention to a little bit to the climate because it does get cold. And it, because it's a desert and so dry, like you have to bring chapstick or lip balm or something like that. And that's something that I, I just happen to keep it in my jacket at all times anyway. So I never have to think about it. But if you're not the type of person who travels a lot or, or just keeps it around, it's definitely worth thinking about stuff like that. Yep. And what I used to do is I used to get to Vegas and then my lips would get all red and chapped and then I would start applying it. And it looked, my lips looked like Ronald McDonald's lips because they were red and, and then they were all glossy. So what I do now is bring it with me. And from the moment I hit the ground, I start applying it. And that's worked for the past, say, three or four years. And it keeps me from having chapped lips. I also drink a ton of water. So I pretty much, I bring my water bottle and pretty much a refillable one, you know, and pretty much from the time I hit the ground, I'm just chugging water constantly. The other thing is that there's there's also the opposite problem sometimes where if you go someplace and you don't have uh, like gloves, for example, and when we went over to FemtoConf in Germany, it was cold enough that it like it started to snow in certain certain cases. So it's like you have to just bring the things that you need for that type of weather. So even if you don't think that you're going to be outside very much, make sure that you have those things available and consider them before you even walk out the door. And that's really the, I'd say the bulk of the first third of this particular podcast is going to be all the things that you should do before the conference, before you even get on the plane to, to go there. Yeah. Another thing you want to think about is spend time in advance to consider your goals for the conference. So think about if there are specific people that you want to meet and you can you know look, research attendees, you can look at the speakers and, and make it a point that you introduce yourself or try to catch a meal with somebody. Think about the types of relationships you want to establish. You know, who's going to, who can you help and who can help you now or in the future? Because that's, that's one way to make a conference and, you know, I was going to say microconf, but any conference so much more valuable is to be really deliberate about who you are going to hang around with and who you're going to surround yourself with while you're at the conference. Of course, there's always serendipity, especially at a really focused conference where everyone's doing interesting things. Every, almost everybody you meet is going to be a fun conversation. But I've got sort of gotten more value myself out of conferences when I look at the speaker list, look at the attendee list, and really pinpoint who it is that I want to talk to and about what. 
And so tacking on to that, also think of two other things. One, are there any questions that you want answered? And are there questions you want to just ask a bunch of people? Do you want to ask a specific person? Do you want to ask knowledgeable people? You know, I know that that Harry and Ted from Moreware Software do a really good job of this. They come each year uh, to MicroConf with a question that they're thinking through and they get a bunch of knowledgeable opinions on it. And I've heard it, it helps shape their decision making. And then finally, you know, are there any topics that that you really are interested in discussing, even if it's not a question you have, but something that you think is going to be relevant to attendees? Or if you just want to use somebody as a sounding board because you have a particular thought in mind about, hey, there's a problem that I have or some sort of challenge that I'm facing, and I'd like some external opinions on it. Because if you're working at home or in a remote office or remote office environment where like you go to work and you sit down and you don't really talk to any coworkers all day except over Slack or email or anything like that, it can be very isolating and you don't get the benefit of having brainstorm sessions or a lot of external input into your thoughts and thought processes. So it's, it's very helpful to have those topics in mind and written down so that you've considered them in advance and said, hey, I want to get other perspectives on this and then take them to the conference and kind of hash it out with people just to hear what they have to say. Another thing to do is to do some pre-conference networking and, and try to find out who's going to be there. If there's a conference coordinator that is putting things together, whether they have an online community or something like that that they're building or a Slack chat, anything along those lines that gives you a, a sense of who else is going to be at the conference, try to find out who's going to be there and reach out in advance of the conference to people that you really want to spend some time and, and meet. So whether they are new people that you want to introduce yourselves to or you're searching for people people who are experts in this particular field or situation, you can always go out to the, that list or that community and ask them like, hey, can we schedule breakfast or lunch or you know, chat for a few minutes, even if you just want to put your name on their radar so that they're actively looking for you. And if you happen to be in a conversation, they say, oh, hey, I remember I got an email from you or a message from you and you wanted to talk about X. Um, just being able to put your name directly in front of them that says with a message that says, hey, I wanted to talk to you about this and just you know, would love to chat about this for X minutes or whatever. That will help you establish some of those relationships. Another thing is to research local travel and potential, you know, scams or, or things that could trip you up. Like a few years ago, Vegas didn't allow Lyft and Uber into the airport. And I think before that, they didn't have Lyft and Uber. Like they didn't allow it within city limits. And then they eventually allowed it in the airport. And now it's everywhere. So you can take a Lyft out of the airport. But before then, you, it was either a shuttle or you could just grab a cab. And the trop is so close to the airport, it was like not worth doing a shuttle because it took a lot longer. So it's things like that that can save you a lot of time and a bit of money. And then another thing is, you know, talking about like potential scams or whatever. Well, before we went to Portugal last year, I was reading through the Lonely Planet and they said pickpocketing is really big there. So that just made me more aware to have things zipped up. And then you had mentioned the, the cabbies that drive south out of the airport. They go this long way around right on the freeway, I think. And it, it, it's like a much longer fare because the trop is almost right next to the airport. Yeah, that was a kind of a classic scam several years ago before Lyft and Uber came around because what would happen is that people would get into a cab and the cab would say, well, do you want to take the highway to the hotel or do you want to go north? And they wouldn't really give you a clear indication that, oh, well, the highway is actually south out of the airport and you, then you have to drive all the way around. And they would really just basically scam you because they could. And I remember that specifically happened to Andrew Warner because he wasn't paying attention back in 2011 and he, and he was telling me about it afterwards. I was like, hey, you, you totally got scammed by them, which sucks. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you wouldn't know that unless you actively looked for that kind of either behavior or things to watch out for. 
Another thing to do is to install or update the conference app before you leave. Often conferences will issue you know, a new app each year, or you can update it and get the updated content. And that's certainly something that you can think about. You could obviously do that on site too. But I know that before I leave, I'm downloading a bunch of shows for the plane and I'm, you know, I'm downloading any, any new games or anything to kind of play on the plane. But that's less about for the conference and more just about the travel. Yeah, but I think it's important to make sure that if you have like a bunch of updates to your apps or your phone or your laptop, that you get those things taken care of before you hit the road so that you're not trying to download that stuff over Wi-Fi because you don't always have a lot of control over what gets downloaded when or what's updated first, or you may not even have a lot of bandwidth to work with. And like, oh, I suddenly need to install this app so that I know where to go next. And then all this other stuff is kind of in the way and taking precedence and you have to wait a heck of a lot more time to get it done. Another thing to make sure you have taken care of is like your passport and travel documents of any kind. Make sure that they're up to date before you leave. I have heard of people who've like forgotten to get that stuff taken care of before they go for a big trip that they've been planning or they plan three months, six months in advance. And they didn't think about that. And then suddenly the night before or the day of they realize, oh, this stuff is out of date and it's going to take three weeks to get it taken care of and I can't go. So be mindful of those types of things as well, because there's literally nothing you can do at that point. Like you can't you can't argue with like tsa agents for example if you're trying to go into another country yeah that's brutal i've heard a few friends who've had that where their passport expired or even if it expires within six months or something of when you're traveling like it's pretty crazy so that would be a serious bummer to have to cancel a trip or miss a conference because of that another thing to think about is figure out and potentially even rehearse your answers to common questions like what are you working on what do you do what company are you with? You know, what are you hoping to get out of the conference? I mean, just kind of think about that stuff in advance so that it's not, it shouldn't come as a shock. You're going to get asked kind of the same thing over and over. And think about what questions you want to ask of people. Oftentimes, I will try not to ask the same questions that everyone else is. You know, typically, I want to get to like, what are you working on? What's really interesting to you right now? I'll often ask people what books they're reading or, or listening to to try to get more, you know, more ideas or what their favorite podcast is. Just because, you know, people like to talk about themselves and share their knowledge. And if it's something new that I haven't heard and it's good, I totally want to, you know, add it to my kind of my content queue, if you will. And this is a perfect place to do it because I'm surrounded by people that are, you know, similar to us and they're, they're one of us in essence. The opposite of that is also true. Like, make sure that you have some ways to gracefully exit a conversation, whether it's, hey, I need to go get a drink or use the restroom or you need to go take a phone call or make a phone call to somebody to call your spouse or significant other. Or you just see somebody else that you really wanted to meet and you need to step out of a conversation to go talk to them. And this is more about protecting your time and making sure that you get the most out of the time that you are there. Because sometimes there's a conversation going on and, and it's not that you don't like the people that you're talking to or you you don't uh, you know, appreciate the things that they have to say, but you have other things than other priorities that you need to pay attention to. And you know, your time is one of them because the, your time at that event is very limited and it will be over before you know it. Yeah, that's a big, big deal. Don't get cornered and get stuck talking to someone that where you guys don't have anything in common, you know, or the person is just talking too much and it really isn't providing value because like you said, you only have a limited amount of time and you really want to, it's not all about take, take, take. It's about giving some value as well. But there are just some conversations that are mutually awesome and you know that it's going somewhere and you know that it's valuable and other ones, they just kind of wander and you realize this is just mindless and I I don't really want to do this. So, you know, really be, be mindful and figure out how, you know, how you're going to gracefully exit those kinds of conversations. 
So now that we've finished talking about the things that you should do before the conference, let's talk about the stuff that you should pay attention to at the conference. And you already mentioned this, but it's the number one thing I think is to stay hydrated. And there's a, a corollary there, which is to also get enough sleep. But with the hydration, like if it's the type of conference where you're going to be talking a lot, you're going to find yourself dehydrated. So make sure that you are drinking enough water to get you through the days. And there are certain environments like a, a desert in Las Vegas, that's going to amplify that. It's going to make you even more dehydrated. So does alcohol. And you have to be careful about that stuff because it's very easy to go to a conference in Vegas. And I've had this happen to myself where I didn't drink anything alcoholic. It was just water. And I didn't drink enough water though. And I woke up the next day and I felt hungover, even though I hadn't had anything to drink. So, and that's just going to impact the rest of your day. You do have to pay attention to how much water you're drinking. Big time. And I mean, it's easier said than done to say, you know, get enough sleep. But I have really found that I enjoy conferences more when I am at least getting, you know, seven hours of sleep and I can kind of feel rested going into it. Otherwise, I'm sitting in a, a ballroom for whatever it is, seven, eight hours, and I'm kind of tired and just not listening. And then it's like, you're not, you're not getting a ton of value from things anymore. So it's, it's easy to, it's easy to hang out. I mean, especially when you're at a conference with, you know, essentially friends and re colleagues and relationships that, you know, that you've built and you only see them once or twice a year. So I think that making a graceful exit at at midnight and, you know, getting your solid eight hours, I mean, that's something that we've done the past couple of years with microconference. We moved the start times of all the conferences to 10 a.m. And I actually think that was a really good idea because it allows, we've gotten positive feedback about it, about how people have time to get breakfast together, especially people who are on, you know, later time zones, a central or, a, you know, an eastern time zone. But it also just allows, if you do stay up late, it just gives you that a little bit more leeway to, you know, you could feasibly wake up at nine o'clock and still have a nice breakfast and, you know, get to the, to the conference on time. What do you mean feasibly? I think we do that, don't we? That is what I did. <laughs> I, was tr I was trying not to be too overt about it, but yes, I... I'm not embarrassed to say, even though I'm should be on central time. So nine o'clock is like 11 a.m. for me. I think last year I had to set my alarm for like 830 and 845, like both day, you know, or all four days of the conference just to make sure that I didn't sleep through it. One thing that I found to be a little bit less valuable over time is taking notes at a conference. And I used to be the type of person who'd go to a conference and I would take pages and pages of notes. And what I realized over time was that I was writing down stuff, but not necessarily paying attention to how important it was or whether it was new to me. And so I'd have these pages of notes and a lot of it turned out to be irrelevant, but I was writing it down just because I felt like I should because the speaker had said something or commented on it. And I was trying to create almost sort of like a transcript of what they were talking about. And the reality is like, if you already know that stuff, don't bother writing it down. Only write down the stuff that is new or that you find insightful or something, if an idea pops into your head and you find that it's going to be actionable, those are the things that you need to write down because you will probably forget them later on. But the stuff you already know, there's no need to write that stuff down. In addition, there's there's usually other people who are taking notes or there may even be like an official note taker for the conference. A lot of speakers make their slides available for after their talks. Definitely write down the URLs for those or you know get them from the conference afterwards if they're, if they're collecting them and distributing them. But don't feel compelled to write down every little thing that the, the speakers say, just write down the stuff that's important. Another thing to consider is to think about asking questions during speaker Q&A. It's a valuable opportunity to get interesting feedback. Obviously, be respectful of time and whether an answer to your question is generally applicable 
or you know to other people you can always follow up with the speaker when they're off stage but i do think that part of the you know the beauty of a conference is that everybody's in the same room and so one way to bring value is to ask interesting questions and you know not only does it give you an excuse to then follow up later if you ask a question the speaker answers it generally and then you can come up and say hey you know i actually have this specific thing i want to talk to you about but it, if it is generally applicable it can be kind of helpful to the the whole audience and i just i think that's good to kind of give back to the community in that way a really nice way to stand out in the minds of the speakers who are presumably kind of leaders in the community is to thank them directly if you found what they were talking about helpful. I would obviously like encourage people to put feedback into the conference surveys, but I think that for most speakers, it's really helpful for them and gratifying to hear that somebody got a lot out of their talk. So definitely make it a point to thank them. And if you have a follow-up questions, don't hesitate to ask them after the talk, especially in situations where if you have a question that you think you might want to ask during the Q&A section, but you realize that that question is so very specific to your business or your particular problem, then save that for a later conversation when you're not going to be using other people's time to hear, about, hear an answer answer to a question that just has no bearing or relevance on them. Another thing to do is to make sure that you are social. I think it's easy to go and lock yourself in your hotel room and, you know, watch this week's episode of Walking Dead instead of kind of hanging out. And a big part of being at the conference, I mean, the hallway track, if it's a good conference, the hallway track is is worth almost as much as the, you know, as much as or more than, than the actual speaker track. With that said, I will say know your limits, you know, get out and meet people, but don't, there, there comes a point where it's diminishing returns and you can either become so tired or so overstimulated or overwhelmed that it's like you're not, you're no longer having fun and you're no longer really getting that much value. And so I think there's a balance to be struck here. I do notice that as I get older and as I go to more conferences, I spend, I, I'm still quite social, but I'm a, a little less, you know, I don't do the 4am nights like the early microconfs. Maybe that's just a factor of sleep, but I definitely get my fill of conversation earlier than, you know, than I did maybe seven or eight years ago. And moving on to the last section of this is after the conference is over, take some time to follow up with the people that you met, whether you exchange business cards or contact information. It was funny last night when I was at the Wistia event, there were a lot of people there who would ask me for a business card. I'm like, I don't have business cards. And, you know, it's just like certain conferences you go to, that's kind of the expectation. And then there are certain ones where it really isn't. But if you are exchanging contact information with people because you want to talk to them later or follow up on a business opportunity or ask them more questions, definitely make sure that you follow up with them and help maintain those relationships that you started with them. And you can maintain those relationships over time. So don't feel that, that you can just let those lapse because I think if you let more than a couple of weeks go by once a conference is over and you've met somebody, I think it starts to become more awkward to, I'll say, reintroduce yourself to the person and you feel w weird about reaching out to them. So the earlier you do that after the conference, is over the better. Another thing to do after the conference is review your notes to see if you need to fill in any gaps. And this is a great thing to do on the plane, right? Especially because there's, you know, I'm assuming you're going to take notes locally. You probably have no internet. It's a great time to kind of sit and think back. Are there any takeaways or any people that I met or any things that I want to take away that aren't in these notes? Because I like my notes to kind of capture the entire event, you know, and, and really be able to refer back to them and refresh everything that came out of it because it can spark new information later when you view it through different eyes, if you look at it six months or, or 12 months from now. So be sure that your notes are kind of buttoned up and they don't have to be super professional, but at least in a format that you feel like you can interpret them in six to 12 months. 
another thing I'd highly recommend, and you know, and this comes from the stance of an event coordinator, but make sure that you fill out the conference surveys. And I say this not just because it's a nice thing to do, but a conference is not going to get any better if you don't provide them with helpful feedback or at least with a good sense of where their conference did well and where they didn't. And if you don't give them that an idea of where they stand, then it's very difficult for them to make decisions to that will help improve things moving forward. And then finally, I think it's helpful to reflect, especially if it's the first or second conference you've gone to, reflect on your time there and make a few notes about what you feel worked really well and things that you regret that you did or didn't do. And let's just be honest, in Vegas, there's a lot to regret that you did. And use this list. I mean, I say it honestly, like use the list to improve your ROI on conferences in the future, right? I mean, without reflecting and kind of looking at your process, figuring out what worked and what didn't, it's kind of hard to improve upon that in the future. And I don't think that the things that you regret doing or not doing are limited to just being in Vegas. I, I'm, no, yeah. I, was kidding. <laughs> no, I understand. But I, I mean, one thing that comes to mind is like, there's been conferences where I've gone to where I stayed up way too late involved in a conversation that really was not of any value to me. And like, I ended up being extremely tired the next day for no good reason. It was just, I felt like, oh, I'll, I'll stay up because other people are here. And you really have no obligation to other people to stay involved in a conversation if there are other things that you could or should be doing, like going to bed and getting some sleep. Yep. I've done that. I've, yeah, I've stayed up too late. I have done the wasn't social enough, didn't meet enough people, wasn't deliberate enough about picking up the people in advance that I wanted to meet. You know, a lot of things in this list, I've certainly made those, those mistakes. So with that, go to your next conference, enjoy it, and get the most value that you can. We hope to see you at this microconf happening next week or a microconf in the future. If you have a question for us, call our voicemail number at 1-888-801-9690, or you can email us at questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. As I like to say, voicemails go to the top of the queue. Our theme music is an excerpt from our Out of Control by Moot used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for startups and visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. All right, so we are in the Startups of the Rest of Us members only after show. We don't talk about this stuff on Twitter or during the show, but this is where we talk about off-topic things. A lot of movies and TV, although we need to figure out, oh, you had a funny story last week, but that's, I want more funny stories and I don't know, TV's fun too, but this week I want to tell you, A, we watched Jumanji, the new one, and it was really good. You were right. Your review was accurate. Excellent. I'm glad you thought so. <laughs> yep. The other thing is I wanted to find out if you uh, are listening or are watching Lost in Space. It's on Netflix. I think it's a Netflix original. I'm not. I I did see that it had come out, but I hadn't had a chance to like, you know, dig into it or look at it. I thought is it is it kid friendly? Yes. And that's okay. the beauty of it. So, you know, it's a remake. Lost of Space was in the 60s, I believe. And the early episodes, I think, were black and white, and then they had color later. And I remember watching it as a kid, obviously in, in syndication. And it was it was okay. I remember it feeling a little bit 
older and the special effects were really crazy, but I remember being entertained by it and watching it with, with my dad and my brother. And then there was that movie that came out in like maybe the late nineties and it wasn't, it was so, so, but this remake is, it's a new take on it. I mean, they don't just follow the old plot and the effects are great and the acting's really good and the writing, you know, they, somebody put some serious budget into this. And so me and my 11 year old, have been watching it and we're only, he might be ahead of me, but I think we're only two episodes in. It is really good so far. I'm really pleased with it. And I like that it's kid-friendly because it, I don't have to only watch it at night after the kids are in bed. I can kind of watch it during the day if we're going to hang out on a weekend or something. That's cool. I think the movie was, uh, did that have Tim Allen in it? No, it had Matt LeBlanc, Joey from Friends. Oh, geez. I think Tim Allen was in that, that one where they like mock Star Trek. Oh, okay. Yeah. The one that has like the, yeah, we're, we're going to get. I don't think I watched that one either. <laughs> yeah, I watched it and it, it was, it was good, but there's a whole cult following for that movie because it's a, a Trekkie type thing. Got it. Got it. But yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't checked it out yet. I would be interested in it though. It's, it's definitely looks like something that's kind of up our alley. Yeah. I was pretty impressed. I like, and I like the way they, you know, there was Robbie the robot in the old one and he would say danger Will Robinson. And they kind of figured out how to do a twist on that. I won't spoil it, but how to do a twist on that to where it feels cool and authentic and a throwback to the old, but also like new and interesting and not just a rehash of it, you know? And that's what I kind of how, what I've liked of this whole deal is that it's the same premise, but they feel like they did a pretty good balance of improving upon it. Now I'm also not, you know, I'm not a diehard, like lost in space fan. I, I always enjoyed it, but I, I haven't seen all the episodes. I don't remember a lot of the, the plot lines or anything. So, I, you know, maybe if you were like a hardcore fan, this one's like blasphemy, you know, cause it's so different, but I, I'm guessing most folks listening to the podcast are not the biggest uh, lost in space fans out there. Are you saying we're nerdy? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that would be, if that would be, if I were to say they are the most diehard lost in space fans. No, all and right. Nerdy. Yeah. Hey, for you, is it Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, um, you know, I I don't dislike either one of them. I would probably say I'm more of a fan of Star Wars than Star Trek, but I would find it hard to like have a Star Trek movie that came out and did not see it. So, you know, it's yeah. I, I like them both, but for different reasons. So, sure. I've heard someone someone described. Star Trek is socialist or communist and in a good way, like in the in a, in a way that it works, you know, not the negative connotation, but it's like it's a socialist side. Everyone gets along. And whereas uh, Star Wars is capitalist, you know, and I thought that was a funny way to to kind of frame it. But, yeah, I like Star. I definitely like Star Wars a lot more. Although I've seen all the new Star Trek movies, the J.J. Abrams one, I thought they were really well done. And I watched the old like the original show with you know captain kirk and stuff i never watched next generation or any of the others but as, as chintzy as the the 60s version was i watched it as a kid and i remember being like this is a really good show did you watch any of the star trek movies with captain picard in them no no nope. oh, okay yeah isn't that a trip and i know i know people are like rolling over in their graves right now because because i've heard it's that's just so much better than it but i've never gotten into it and i've tried a, a few times and now it's the pacing of the show is just too i just can't commit to doing that but maybe if you know to, to watch a watching that many episodes and they just aren't if i can't watch it with my kid and i don't know that he's going to be into it i probably uh i just don't have the time to carve out for it but you're saying maybe the movies would be a better idea i think so because you don't I don't believe that you'd need to have watched the show to be able to watch the movies and still enjoy them. I think it would help to know who the characters are, but I don't think it's necessary to enjoy them as like a standalone movie. I feel like the J.J. Abrams movies, they're kind of the same way and they've stepped far enough apart from 
trying to stay true to like, oh, if uh, I'll kind of uh, draw an analogy with like the Marvel movies, where if you tried to hop in and watch like the Avengers movie, you'd have no idea what's going on because there's so many characters. You've got no idea like what anyone's backstory is. And there's an expectation that you have seen those things. Whereas with the J.J. Abrams movies, there's not that expectation. They don't really set it up that way. But with the the Captain Picard movies, I think it's uh, what, seven through 10 or 11 or 12 or something like that. Like they, there's a little bit of that. It's real helpful to know who the characters are, but it's probably not like 100% necessary. Like if you watched a couple of episodes, you'd be fine. But yeah, I think that the, the movies, they did a lot better job of, I'll say making them interesting. I feel, I feel like a lot of the Star Trek episodes from the 80s and or I think it was the 90s and after that there was a very predictable factor to them like I don't watch a lot of TV now because I find much of it very predictable like my wife and I will be watching something and something will happen and like one of the two of us will literally say exactly what the next line is and more often than not we're right on what that next line is so it's just like eh. so formulaic yeah, yeah. and then the, and then there's certain shows that they they just hammer on that same formula every single episode. I think it was, um, it wasn't CSI. It was Law and Order. Uh, roughly 20 minutes in every single episode, without fail, they will go talk to somebody and it'll be like a five minute conversation, not even a five minute conversation, but like two or three minutes. They see them, they make an appearance on screen and then they go away and you don't see them until the last 10 to 15 minutes of the episode. And they're the, they're the bad guy, like every single one without fail. And it's just like, okay, well, is it going to be eight minute, 18, 19 or 20? Like it it was, there was no variation in it. So I don't know. It's it's some, some shows that works really well, but some of them it doesn't. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I haven't been able to watch network TV for a long time. I think the only shows I watched, this is us. And then I used to watch parenthood and that's about it. And I mean, I don't, you know, I don't count like walking dead, right. Cause it's not, I, I count that as like cable or whatever. Obviously, there's good stuff coming out of AMC and, and some other cable shows. But when I, I was over at my relative's house a while back, it was six months ago, and they had like CBS on. And I was like, I'd, I've never heard of any of these shows. And they're awful. Like, this is terrible. This is terrible TV. How are you possibly watching this? And it's just the, the bar has been raised so high with, with HBO and Showtime originals and Netflix originals and Amazon originals. I mean, I just feel like I can have such a an endless supply of of amazing shows some of which we've you know talked about here but just lots of space just appears i had no idea it was coming out obviously netflix is promoting it and i'm like huh i used to like the old one let me watch this with my son you know and we start watching i'm like this is really good like this is really well done so i'm glad that they're throwing throwing dollars at it even though we're, I hear, we keep hearing the phrase peak TV, like we're at, at peak, you know, like movies used to be where it was at. And I don't watch many movies anymore, actually. I watch a few here and there, but it's much more about, and then the ones that I watch are like superhero, you know, the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies. Like those are the big ones. Everything else, I tend to like these shows where you get into the long run of the character and the arc and how they change over time. Yeah, yeah I've, I've gotten a little ways away from that just because I feel like, there's a certain point at which it ceases to be interesting because of the predictability of it. The show that my wife watches is Under the Dome, which is kind of a, a newer show. And I watched several episodes with her and I'm just like, this is lost all over again. It's like, except on an island, they're like under a dome. Like that's that's really the only major difference. Like there's weird stuff going on. You have no idea. Like they even refer to like these people as like the others at one point. I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? So, but don't watch that show then. That sounds like a dumb 
show. Like watch <laughs> watch Walking Dead, which I guess is now starting to repeat itself, or watch um, you know Game of Thrones, right? I mean, these are these are shows that are not super formulaic. I got bored of Walking Dead at one point as well. Like I I stopped around like season three or four or something like that. I was yeah, just like it, it, Walking Dead gets a little bit repetitive. You're right. Yeah, I feel like every single long running series, like I get bored way before the end of it, and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Like I can sit down and watch a movie. And as long as it's kind of mostly self-contained, great. Like one exception I would have to say for all of that has been Game of Thrones. And it's just because I think that there's they've got so many different directors and actors in it that the storylines are just very different. And they're trying to merge them all together. But I've also read all the books, so I know most of what's going to happen. But at the same time, the books stopped at one point. So they're yeah, behind. They're ahead of them. Now. Right. Yeah. And how about uh, like Breaking Bad was not did not become formulaic. I got bored first season. Like I I never finished it. Yeah, I don't know. It gets each season gets better, and then it's it's yeah it's really intense. So there's never repeated formulas that I detected in Breaking Bad. It just continued to get better. Yeah, I mean it wasn't a bad show. I just wasn't. It didn't feel real compelling to me. Is really what it came down to. Yeah, that makes sense. But. Oh, uh, totally unrelated to this. Did you see that Amazon recently released their Amazon Prime membership numbers? No, I don't believe I did. What was the deal? Because were they talking about how many subscribers compared to Netflix? Is that what someone was doing? I don't know if it was compared to Netflix, but it was just the the number of am worldwide uh, Amazon Prime memberships that they had. Take a guess at like how much you think it was. I was just about to to google it did it did it get leaked or did they release it no they put it in an, uh, like a quarterly report or an annual report or something like that oh geez i would think like 20 million or 25 million 100 million holy crap wow that is insane and i, I looked at it, i was like that can't be right and i went and i actually looked in their report and i was like and it said 100 million worldwide i was like oh my god and isn't it it's 100 bucks a year right or 90 or something it is. And if you do the raw math on it, it's like, well, that's $10 billion a year, which. Right. But I hear they lose a billion, a billion or two billion a year on it, on the shipping is what I've heard. Yeah. And that's, that's entirely possible. But like the raw number of the, the raw income from that is 10 billion in subscriptions. And it's just. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. And now don't get me wrong. There are somebody pointed out that they also have like student subscriptions, which are only $25 a year instead of a hundred or 130. So, you know, there is that there. And obviously like profit is the probably like for the, the most important thing that you people like you and I would look at, but the, the raw number is kind of staggering. Yeah, that is. And I mean, you got to look at it. You know, I know everybody, people rag on Bezos because they're like, oh, he's losing money on all this stuff. And whether he loses a billion dollars or two billion a year on the actual, because I heard, you know, it's they, someone like me, I pay this 90 bucks and then I ship way too many packages during the year. I almost said a number and it is so embarrassing. <laughs> it's it's got to be in the triple digits, man. I mean, we just, we order so much from Amazon now, just reusable stuff, toothpaste and that kind of stuff. You know, so they lose money on, because I'm basically getting this all shipped for free. But at a certain point, A, there's a loyalty piece to it. B, there's the the margin. You know, I know the margins aren't huge, but they're making money on everything I'm buying. I mean, there there's just a, yeah, you kind of can't, fault the guy who's built that company you know i don't i don't believe the naysayers who talk about who've been saying about amazon since the 90s since they were losing you know even more money or i guess it was less money but probably more as a percentage of you know of their their revenue or whatever that thing is a juggernaut and my my big regret is that i've thought they were 
amazing since really since kind of the EC2 AWS start, stuff started coming out. And I remember thinking, whoa, this is going to change everything. I should buy their stock. And when I went to look at it, I was like, it's way overpriced. <laughs> it just felt <laughs> way, it's always been overpriced. You know, it's a thousand bucks a share now and I can't possibly bring myself to buy it now. But it's really like a dumb attitude. You know, it's like throwing, it's like throwing good money after bad. It's the opposite of that though, right? It's like not throwing good money after something that I know is gonna, um, I just, just in our space, I just know that how powerful EC2 is and how amazing a business that is. What you should have done is when Bitcoin hit 20,000, you should have sold it and then bought Amazon. Bought Amazon, yep. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm trying to time two things. No, but I do wonder if, you know, during a next, I mean, there's got to be a big stock market correction coming at some point. I'm thinking I would consider there are a few stocks I've had my eye on that I'm like, man, they're really good companies that I think long term are just going to kill it. But they um, feel a little, little heavily valued right now. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. I, I, I shudder to think of what that that market correction is going to look like, you know? I know, I do too. I'm not, and I'm not hoping for it nor calling for it. I just, it's just the reality of, if you look at the 50 year graph going back, there's one every X amount of years, you know? Yep. So there's definitely one coming. It's just a matter of when <laughs> it's like an earth, it's like an earthquake in San Francisco. Yep. That's right. Yep. Cool. Was that it for today? Well, I think so. All right. Talk to you later, man. All right. Bye. All right, bye.